Hello and welcome to Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I'm Nick, your host. Today, we're going to be talking about the ancient warrior code of Japan. That is to say, Bushido, which is Japanese for Way of the Warrior. Uh, Now, if I've got this right, the word Bushi uh, means warrior and Do means uh, path or way. So uh, it's played a very large part in the history and development of Japan and the Japanese people. And uh, I just wanted today to take a quick look at it and uh, see what we can learn about it. All right, let's get started. Bushido. What is Bushido? Essentially, it's a doctrine, it's an ideology, it's a way of life uh, that is very closely tied with the idea of being a warrior, a fighter, a protector, somebody who perpetually engages in in conflict uh, out of loyalty. So the actual warrior code of Bushido, um, when I first started doing research for this episode, I, I thought it was this like vastly ancient thing. But the idea of the code didn't pop up until the Middle Ages during the Kamakura period in Japan, which is um, 1192 to 1333. So it started popping up uh, while the Europeans on the other side of the world were still engaged uh, in the Crusades. During this time, uh, there was also the emergence of seppuku, which is also known to many Westerners as uh, harikiri, harikiri, which is uh, ritual disembowelment. This is a this is a ritual that the warrior is expected to undergo when he has dishonored himself. Uh, one of the key tenets of this way of thinking is that you would prefer death to dishonor. So. Uh, Japan, during this time period and going into the following centuries, was very much an honor-based society. And this is not unusual um, across the world. You know, like even in the West, uh, in the 1700s, 1800s, a man, uh, the honor of a man, especially a gentleman, uh, was paramount to everything else. And that's why in the West you had dueling, uh, like with pistols, you know, pistols at dawn, that kind of thing. So here we see kind of a, a parallel in the Far East in Japan. Now, in this time, the Kamakura period, there was a family called the Minamoto family, and they established uh, Japan's first military government, Bakufu, which was headed by a uh, hereditary leader called the Shogun. So, Shogun, I've often seen it compared to or translated as uh, warlord. Um, And the reason why this is important is uh, we need to differentiate between the Shogun and the Emperor, who's kind of like the spiritual head, the spiritual father of of the Japanese people. Uh, Ancient Japanese religion is uh, is called Shinto, and it's uh, animist. But one of the things that's interesting about Japan is that over the centuries, they fused Shinto beliefs uh, with other kind of ideologies that were coming over from the continent, uh, especially China. And these are uh, Confucianism uh, and Buddhism. Now, I know Buddhism has its origins in India, but by this time it was very strong uh, in China. And so you see the development of kind of modern 
I was going to say modern traditional, but yeah, this this development of uh, a uniquely Japanese religion is kind of a fusion of ancient Shinto beliefs with Zen Buddhism and Confucianism. Now, why am I talking about this fusion of religions? It's because some of the ideas, some of the tenets um, of these um, religious ideologies that were coming from the continent very, very much influence the development of the Bushido code. So how a warrior was expected to live. And some of these things are, of course, uh, an interest and a uh, ceaseless dedication to martial things, the, the martial spirit. So things like athleticism and military skills, uh, especially with blades. In addition to this, uh, things like frugal living, kindness, honesty, and personal honor uh, were also highly regarded. And uh, I'm pulling a lot of this from uh, a few sources, but uh, especially uh, Encyclopedia Britannica, which is, as far as I know, a very reputable source. Later on, during the Edo or Tokugawa period, so now we're out of the Middle Ages, this period lasted from 1603 to 1867, Bushido thought um, just more and more and more was infused with these, these Confucian ideas. Now, why is it called Confucian? Just, uh, I don't know, maybe there's a bunch of people listening that don't know. It comes from the writings and the teachings of this guy Confucius in ancient China, and he was a philosopher, a thinker, a writer. Um, in many ways, in the Far East, he's the equivalent to some of the greatest minds of Western philosophy, so like Socrates or Aristotle. And he wrote a lot about what it meant to lead a good life and be a good person and how these things rippled and reverberated throughout society so that we could have a good society uh, and, and kind of a stable society that was based on duties, obligations, uh, mutual respect, order, stuff like that. One of the strongest contributions of Confucian thought to the development of the Bushido Code was the idea of the perfect gentleman. It was how a warrior was expected to behave. And um, they were expected to be a role model for the lower classes. And I'm sure many historians, many scholars before me have done this, comparing Bushido to the idea of chivalry and the knightly code in medieval Europe. Because one of the things about Bushido was you were supposed to behave yourself um, despite the fact that you were trained in combat and had a superior social standing to the peasants, you were expected to not lord over them or oppress them or bully them. You were expected to be a role model for them um, so that by your faithful obedience and dedication to duty, you would inspire them to be faithful, obedient and dutiful, stuff like that. So. I found that very interesting. Um, I'm not going to go too much into comparing Bushido to chivalry uh, because that's kind of out of the scope of this episode. But uh, definitely, if you're interested in further reading, that's something you can uh, you can look at. One of the things that's interesting, too, is that this faithfulness, obedience, loyalty in the Bushido code, in many cases, is encouraged to supersede the law of the land. So even if 
whatever you're doing for your lord might um, conflict with the civil like laws of the nation, you were expected to remain faithful to your lord. And one of the examples in this article that is given is the idea, it's the story of the 47 Ronin in the early 18th century. Uh, these samurai warriors who had become masterless, so they had become ronin, uh, that's the word for a samurai warrior who no longer has a lord. Um, their lord had been murdered in a very sneaky, sketchy way, and they avenged their lord's death, and afterwards were all ordered to commit seppuku. So they were, now that they had righted the wrong of the, the, the treacherous murder of their lord, there was kind of this idea that they were now purposeless um, because they didn't have a lord and the right the wrong that had been committed had now been righted. So it was kind of like, well, they took in their eyes the, uh, the honorable way out. So that is to say, seppuku. There is a collection of virtues in Bushido. Um, that is a, somewhat similar, actually, to the uh, the virtues that you see in Buddhism. And uh, in the next segment, I'm going to go into them in a little more detail. All right, now let's talk about the virtues of Bushido, the central core beliefs. Immediately when I started researching this, uh, it is a little confusing because some sources say that there are eight of them, eight virtues. Uh, other pages, articles I read said there, there are seven. There was even one source that uh, I found that said it had five. Um, so, but generally speaking, hey, let's cast a wide net. Let's catch as many of them as we can. Let's talk about the eight virtues. So <laughs> by doing this, well, at least we're sure we caught the seven and the five. So one thing about this, uh, the unwritten samurai code of conduct, it held that the true warrior believed in things like loyalty, courage, veracity, compassion, and honor. Uh, and, I, and I'm guessing that those are kind of the original five. Um, in the few decades before World War II, so World War II was 1939 to 1945, there was this guy in Japan called Nitobe Inazo, and he was a Japanese uh, economist, author, educator, writer, diplomat, politician, just this guy was all over the place. Uh, very prolific, very productive. And he decided to kind of write down what these virtues are. Uh, and he had studied kind of this ancient warrior code. Now, the first one is rectitude or justice. And rectitude, it's one of those really old-timey words. Um, it just, it means like rightfulness, like the the, the right. And I, and I mean right, not opposite of left, but like right as in opposite of wrong. Um, it's the strongest virtue. And according to this... Um, According to this article, it's defined as the following, quote, Rectitude is one's power to decide upon a course of conduct in accordance with reason, without wavering, to die when to die is right, to strike when to strike is right, end quote. So you see, this is the idea of control. You know, just because you're powerful and fit and trained in weapons, 
you know, with that comes a lot of responsibility to behave in the correct way. There's another source that defined it as the following, quote, Rectitude is the bone that gives firmness and stature. Without bones, the head cannot rest on top of the spine, nor hands move, nor feet stand. So, without rectitude, neither talent nor learning can make the human frame into a samurai." End quote. So definitely, this, uh, this is right at the top of the list, rectitude or justice. The second one is cur uh, courage. And it's interesting in the Bushido Code, according to this guy, again, uh, Nitobe Inazo, there's a difference between bravery and courage. Um, and it's kind of, it, it's interesting because they, they draw from, again, the teachings of Confucius. And Confucius wrote the following, quote, perceiving what is right and doing it not reveals a lack of courage. So it... <laughs> end quote. So it's kind of like a weird way of, of saying um, courage is doing what is right. It's it's not necessarily, you know, running into a group of heavily armed people uh, just foolishly ready to die. It's, it's having the courage to do what is right. And that actually uh, dovetails, it, it ties in very nicely with the next one. The third tenant is benevolence or mercy. And uh, this definitely you know the 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 ideal warrior is expected not to be this mindless killer uh or kills for thrills or anything like that or, or any kind of bandit or robber um in in kind of this way of thinking confucius again uh wrote that the highest requirement of a ruler of men is benevolence so that's kind of like the greatest kings are the ones who are good to their people and merciful. The fourth tenant is politeness. And of course, I mean, if you're talking about Japan, Japan has always, and Japanese people have always placed a very high premium on proper conduct uh, in public, well, and in private too, but uh, manners and politeness, and there's just a very distinct uh, proper way to do things. The fifth one is honesty and sincerity. Um, and this is, this is interesting too, uh, according to the author, uh, Nitobe Anazu, uh, he says that the, the true samurai, they don't, they don't get obsessed with money because he believed that quote, men must grudge money for riches hinder wisdom, end quote. Um, and this pops up in all sorts of ideologies and religions around the world in order to really focus on the things that are right uh, in your life and in the world. You have to not get obsessed with money, basically. Uh, number six is honor, of course. Um, it's kind of the awareness of personal, personal dignity and worth. Um, and this is huge, too, because the, the fear of disgrace or dishonor was actually the greatest fear for, for these believers in the Bushido code, uh, more so than death. And I, I mentioned that already, this kind of idea of death before dishonor. Seven is loyalty, uh, loyalty to the code, to society, but especially uh, loyalty to your superior. And this kind of pops up because the Bushido code emerged during the medieval period. And in the medieval period in Japan, society was kind of organized along the lines of what's called a feudal system, similar to in Europe. Basically, what this means is that people, like people didn't have 
jobs or employment or work for companies or anything like that. But uh, the labor of everybody in the society was tied to obligations and duties that they owed to lords above them. Um, so like if you were a peasant, yes, you would live on land owned by a lord and you'd have your little house and your family and you'd grow vegetables for yourself. But there were all sorts of things that you had to do for your lord that were often unpaid. So like digging ditches, building roads, uh, clearing out uh, woodlands. Uh, you know, if your lord called on you to go to war, you, you would be kind of pushed into these peasant levies, like units of peasant fighters, uh, all sorts of stuff like that. Uh, the same thing with the knights above them. Like the, one of the great things about being a knight was like you had kind of a, a keep or, or a stronghold of, of some kind and you were trained in combat. You were part of the warrior class. But part of that was when your lord called on you to fight, you, you had to go. Like, like that was it. And you also had to protect your peasants. Like the, the lord above you was counting on you to protect the peasants below you. So, <laughs> so anyway... That's just kind of the nuts and bolts of the feudal system. I may do an episode on that in the future. And the last one, number eight, is character and self-control. So, yes, again, you know, going into things like uh, code of conduct and politeness and stuff. Um, it's one that, according to this article, the difference between good and bad and between right and wrong are givens. Uh, not arguments subject to discussion or justification, and a man should know the difference. So it's kind of like this very clear-cut right and wrong. There's no space for moral ambiguity or moral relativism or anything like that. It's a very strict code of conduct where um, essentially anything that you can think of, there's an answer for it, and you need to have the courage and the bravery to kind of defend that answer and uphold that answer and, uh, you know, put, put, put your life on the line for it. Um, the names in Japanese for these, uh, oh, geez. So <laughs> you have Jin, Makoto, Rei, Chugi, Meiyo, Gi, Nintai, and Yu. And these stand for benevolence and compassion, sincerity and truth, politeness and courtesy, uh, devotion and loyalty, honor and reputation, morality and justice, patience, and then heroism and courage. I probably pronounced them wrong, um, but I do not speak Japanese. Wow, so that was a lot of words, but just to recap, the eight virtues of the Bushido Code are justice, courage, mercy, politeness, sincerity, honor, loyalty, and self-control. So because I, I realized uh, when I was thinking it over, I was like, huh, I said a lot of words, but I didn't just give the list straight out. So <laughs> to, to the listener, they're probably like, wait, what? What did he say? Um, one thing I wanted to kind of talk about before wrapping things up is the development of the Bushido Code uh, briefly from the medieval period to kind of the modern period, because it does pop up in the modern period. So our story started when I began the episode in the Kamakura period, 1192 to 1333. Then we moved to the Edo or Tokugawa period, which is 1603 to 1867. Now, 
1868, there was this thing called the Meiji Restoration, where Japan started to open up and modernize and、um, kind of join the world community. And there were militarist nationalist leaders in the country that wanted to make Japan a world power.、Uh, a lot of them were guided by Bushido ideas.、Uh, one of the first kind of conflicts where Japan Burst onto the world stage was the Russo-Japanese War, which I believe was 1904, 1905, where they actually beat the Russians, and that was a huge surprise to the world because nobody thought that this Far Eastern nation that、uh, recently had been closed off and kind of、uh, technologically disadvantaged could actually beat, you know, the Russians, like one of the main、uh, world powers. But they did, and in the decades that followed, this nationalist. Uh, idea in Japan just got more and more steam. The militarist leaders of the country got more and more power, so that in the decades before World War II,、uh, the Japanese expanded and、uh, conquered lands in Korea and China and stuff like that.、Uh, they fought this long war with China, the Sino-Japanese War, 1937 to 1945, which actually predated World War II. I mean. World War II、uh, in the Pacific that pulled in the West、um, basically started with Japan bombing Pearl Harbor on December seventh, nineteen forty-one, and pulling in the Americans. And in response,、uh, you know, Germany declared war on the United States. And anyway, th- like that's basically when the Western powers were pulled in. But by that point,、uh, the Japanese had already been fighting in China for like four years,、uh, and they had conquered Korea and stuff like that. The reason why I bring up Bushido is a lot of the military leaders of Japan, a lot of the high leaders of the、uh, Imperial Japanese Army and the Imperial Japanese Navy were very, very into、uh, this Bushido way of thinking. They consider themselves、uh, modern samurai,、uh, glorious fighters, defenders of the Japanese nation, servants of the emperor, like、uh, whatever you want to call it,、um, and. In one of the more kind of remarkable instances of this, a lot of the kamikaze pilots、uh, that targeted U.S.、Uh, ships would kind of have some of these Bushido beliefs.、Um, but it wasn't just them. But but that's definitely one of the the more、uh, notable instances of it. So they would、uh, you know write down death poetry before going off, putting on their Japanese imperial headband. And crashing their aircraft into Allied ships,、uh, stuff like that. They, the Japanese authorities,、uh, definitely tried to indoctrinate as much of the population as they could、uh, towards the end of the Second World War because they feared an Allied invasion of the Japanese home islands, and they wanted to resist. They, they basically wanted everybody to die for the emperor, and make the cost of the Allies so high that they would just、uh, give up.、Um, instruction in the Bushido Code. <clears throat> Therefore, was officially abandoned by the the civil and military authorities after Japan surrendered to the United States in 1945. I believe it was September.、Um, that being said, Bushido is not dead by any means.、Um, it still continues. It's still a part of、uh, sumo wrestling, and it's still a part of、uh, many many Japanese martial arts. And、uh, they tend to stress the more、uh, discipline and inner peace and self-control elements of it, and less of the uh, uh, death before dishonor and martial combat 
you know, elements. Uh, but but definitely, it's they're not distinctly picking and choosing what they want to believe in and what they don't. But it's just that there's a slight shift in kind of the uh, the emphasis. So very very interesting. Uh, I definitely think the Bushido code, um, as well as kind of traditional Japanese values of obedience and authority, are one of the reasons why Japanese soldiers, Japanese armed forces in the Second World War resisted so stubbornly uh, on a lot of these Pacific islands, like the, the price that uh, the Americans and other allied forces like the British and the New Zealanders and the Filipinos and the Australians like that it was just so hard to get these people to give up and to surrender and even when you did win a battle or a territory or you took a river or a mountain or something a lot of them would commit suicide and uh, a, a great deal of this is because of the the Bushido code um, so it's very very interesting you know I recorded a previous episode about history movies that are great for history buffs and one of them is Letters from Iwo Jima and you can see this um, as the situation on Iwo Jima deteriorates further and further some of the officers start going out in suicidal charges or killing themselves or they would surrender to the Americans while clutching a grenade to try to take out one or two Americans like just all sorts of stuff like that and it's meant to kind of maximize the impact uh, of your own death and to not be taken prisoner, which again was considered the ultimate disgrace. So yeah, I, I think that's kind of a good way to uh, kind of wrap up the episode is Bushido Code going into the modern era. And and like I said, I mean, all of the things that these, these Japanese soldiers did in the Second World War, like I I, I don't want to kind of disparage modern usages of the Bushido code, again, in things like sumo wrestling and martial arts, uh, but it is still around today. All right, well, that's going to do it for us here today. I wanted to say goodbye in Japanese, and I looked it up, and of course the, the kind of classic way to say it is sayonara. Uh, but upon further reading, apparently uh, not a lot of native Japanese speakers use that, and it has a sense of finality to it. So apparently a, a friendlier, more informal way to, to say goodbye in Japanese is janei. Uh, which kind of implies that it's kind of like see ya, like, uh, you know, see ya soon. So, yeah, <laughs> just a little bit of a, a friendly Japanese goodbye for all of you out there. So I hope you learned something today. This has been Bite-Sized History, the show where I try to make history fun, fast, and interesting. I was Nick, your host. Listener mail can be sent to bitesizedhistorypodcast at gmail.com. Oh, and uh, tell your friends and leave a review on iTunes. So once again, thank you so, so much for listening. Goodbye.